Was A Quiet Place inspired by signs it comes at night in War for the Planet of the Apes? Was Ready Player One influenced by Avatar, Wreck-It Ralph, and The Last Starfighter? Is the Hurricane Heist more influenced by Sharknado or Geostorm? These are the kinds of questions my guest co-hosts and I discuss on my podcast, Piecing It Together. Every week we look at a new movie and try to figure out what other movies inspired it, whether it's the story, the character development, tone, or even use of music. Every movie was influenced by something that came before it, and we want to figure out what. Check out Piecing It Together on your favorite podcast app or check us out on piecingpod.com. You can also follow us on social media at piecingpod. Piecing It Together is a part of the All Points West Podcast Network. Hi, this is James Joker, host of webcomics from using interviews. Tonight, we're looking at the missing pieces, so sit back, relax, and let the Geek Fest begin. When a lot of writers start building the world, they tend to forget about the mythological aspect. I mean, sure, you've got your heroes, you've got your villains, you've got these government agencies that pretty much do everything. I mean, straight up, if it comes down to something bad happening, you either know who's causing it or who to call in order to have the problem solved. And that's great. That's exactly how it should be. However, by the same token, I think that a lot of people are forgetting about the mythological aspect to the world. You know, basically, who are the people that when everybody thinks of the veneration, this is who it gets bestowed upon? Who's deified? Who's basically worshipped when it comes to particular aspects of that particular culture? And think about what I'm saying here. When we start looking at, say, the Greek gods, each one of the 12 major ones has some sort of portfolio that that person basically is in charge of. We've got all the way from Zeus, who's in charge of weather and leadership, down to Hestia, who's in charge of basically the hearth. You know, we have all these important parts of Greek culture that have a particular Olympian that's perfectly in charge of that particular aspect. The thing is, though, is that when we start looking at the modern world, we start noticing that, well, we don't really have people that do that much anymore. I mean, we just don't really have anything that pretty much defines certain things. Yes, we've got heroes, we've got villains, we've got people that basically we look up to in terms of being, well, who we basically want to be or who we don't want to be. But when it comes to your various comic realms, you don't have those examples of people. Sure, you've got people that are on the page that are supposed to be examples of the heroes and deities of that particular age, but it sort of gets a little flat. It's just, you need to have somebody who's defining who those people are. Consider Superman, for example. This is a guy who basically defines everything in terms of, well, basically his two fathers as well as American heroes. From Jor-El, he basically gets his respect for academics as well as intelligence. On the other hand, from Jonathan, he tends to get his respect for, well, shall we say, more diplomatic solutions, as well as basically having a little bit of patience. Both of those two individuals define a huge part of who Superman is. But we're also looking at the various American heroes who also define also aspects of pers- that personality. For example, with George Washington, he tends to learn a little bit of loyalty as well as basically how to be a leader. While from Benjamin Franklin, he gets not only intelligence again, but also clever ways how to do stuff, as well as the importance of being a diplomat behind the scene. The key here is that a lot of who Superman is and how he's actually defined as basically the avatar of right is defined by who the people he himself believes in. And I think when we start dealing with comics and we start actually trying to develop our own, well, metaphysical shortcut, we need to basically define who the heroes are and who the deities are that, well, our heroes and deities actually sort of believe in who based their beliefs on them. That is, by calling them a metaphysical construct, what I'm basically looking at is that when you say that person's name, you're not necessarily calling him that person's themselves. You're actually calling in what that person represents relative to that particular universe. And there's a lot of people that, well, yeah, a lot of the superheroes do become their own metaphysical constructs. You know, if we want to think right, we're going to think Superman. We're going to think justice. 
Batman, so on and so forth. But at the same time, we need to start looking at who those people believe in themselves, who those people put on the pedestal, and who they basically have defined their values from. More importantly, when we start looking at the culture as a whole, we need to basically figure out who the heroes and the villains are in terms of the cultural aspect. Consider, say, Michael Jordan versus Charles Manson. Yeah, we've got a really great guy who pretty much defines fair play on the basketball court, but he's also a really great guy who's done a lot of charity work as well. This is opposed to Manson, who's basically become synonymous with, well, death and destruction. Even though he did only a few things, really, when it comes down to it, that impact, that cultural impact of Manson has become so incredibly huge that it's definitely dwarfed the man himself. That is, when it comes down to it, I think that if we are going to be serious about building our worlds up, we need to look at more than just the people we're going to be seeing every day. And let's get real. Yes, we've seen Jonathan Kent. Yes, we've seen Jorel. But at the same time, these people have been more or less, well, they've been basically in the background more than they have in the, pre in the foreground. And because of that, they have a much higher an actual mythological presence than they would if they were basically in that scene every time in terms of an actual representation. Just by being mentioned, we basically know what Superman is referring to when it comes to certain aspects of his own personality and what he gets from that particular person. So with that in mind, we're going to be exploring a lot of that mythology and how to create your own mythology and having a little bit of fun with it. The first thing we need to basically look at is, well, the values of that particular world. This isn't just good versus evil. I mean, that's an obvious stepping off point, but it's definitely not going to be, it's just literally a stepping off, straight up. Good versus evil, while they're important forces and they actually define particular worlds, aren't really all that important in terms of who they actually get represented by. That is, eventually, we're going to have basically the hero and the villain step into those particular roles. And that's fun. That's exactly how it should be. What I'm basically looking at is that you need to basically figure out what the actual values of your particular culture are, and to basically have people that actually represent those particular aspects. Again, going back to the Big 12 of the Greek, you know, you've got Poseidon who's basically dealing with the forces of nature, specifically the sea. That's because when it came down to it, the sea was a major force in Greek culture. He also had Ares when it came to war. More importantly, he was more of a tactical war. You know, the person who dealt with melee fighting and the common soldier, as opposed to Athena, who basically was more of a strategist. The Greek country was so important that when it came down to war, they had to actually split it into two different deities in order to basically do it justice, particularly to that particular culture. Plus, on top of that, you had other people like, for example, the afterlife represented by Pluto. You had wine, which again was a major aspect of Greek culture represented by Dionysus, and you even had the Hearst represented by Hestia. All these very aspects were represented by various deities. However, when you're defining your own mythology, you don't have to go all the way up to the god, or for that matter, the monsters, because again, you start looking at some of the monsters, you start seeing death and destruction being done as major evil forces represented by major characters. The hazards of the sea, for example, were represented by Sala and Shabidus. You know, it's just straight up. You're going to be seeing a lot of representation of your mythology based on who the people are. And again, you don't have to necessarily go all the way up to the god and demon level. You can just simply have people within the pop culture itself define certain beliefs. The key is you need to basically define what's important to your particular culture and you simply go for it. For example, look at our culture, how often we tend to look at heroes in terms of sport. I mean, straight up, almost everybody that follows some sort of sport has somebody that basically look up to that defines football or soccer or hockey or whatever 
defines it to that particular person and because that person has become such a synonymous with that particular sport does that actually define it in terms of other people if we're looking at track and fields for example Usain Bolt is definitely going to be coming up in a conversation if we're talking about tennis Billie Jean King you know it's basically you're going to have a lot of sports figures come up as your heroes and gods to a certain degree but then again we tend to basically look at sports as something that pretty much defines us on one level or another just look how many sports analogies we've got you know we've got fair play as an actual major part that we actually believe in and that we're actually willing to fight for you know a lot of really great sports things are part of the human culture and because of that you're going to be seeing a lot of athletes actually come into the actual mythology to some degree ultimately you're going to have to figure out who these representatives you need to have are and basically what they actually represent and you need to basically think of the aspects that you need first and then actually start defining people that do them and yeah eventually you're going to have some of these characters are going to be people you see on the page a lot but a lot of times you're going to find that a lot of these people are going to be getting some really huge mythological status just from not being there. Consider Lex Luthor, for example. This is somebody we know is evil, we know he's greedy, we basically know he's not a nice person. Luthor will do whatever he wants to do specifically for himself. There's no question of it. But at the same time, look at how much of a status he gets just by being mentioned. You know, there's a lot of Superman stories where you, you never hear of Luthor through the whole thing, and it just feels sort of weird, but then you automatically get a quick mention of Luthor, and it just feels sort of right. And know what I'm saying there? Just the bare mention of Luthor enough to basically cause a little bit of nervousness around everybody. That's sort of cool. That's just showing that Luthor is actually becoming part of the mythology himself. And that's again cool. You, even though he is going to be somebody who's going to be on the page a lot, at the same time it works having him basically being good versus evil. And you have to start realizing you can have a little bit of fun in that regard yourself. So definitely don't restrict it to just people that are off panel. Have basically people that you know are going to represent these perfect aspects and just go for it. Just have a lot of fun with it. I mean don't get too crazy with it. You don't want to have like 17 dozen people that you have to keep track of. Trust me, that's going to be a ridiculous number of note cards alone. But you definitely want to basically have the various important aspects of that particular culture. If you basically have somebody who's going to represent justice and right, and you're going to have people that are going to be representing greed and destruction, that's fine. That pretty much defines your entire situation there. At the same time, you might want to have somebody who's going to be riding away at, you know, writing right your culture, you know, trying to basically destroy it and take it down. Or you may have people that you basically want to show that they're going to be kind and you want to have that as an aspect that's important to you. That's great. You know, figure out what's important to your particular culture and then start having people that actually represent that in various aspects of those beliefs. And once you've figured that out, once you've actually started figuring out what aspects are important to that particular culture, you're going to be seeing that a lot of it starts falling into place. And by figuring out what those aspects are and by having them actually have representatives, you're going to have a little bit more to your world than if you just simply had the hero and villains, you know what I mean? So, you have all these really great aspects defined. Cool. Now you actually get to start filling in the blanks. You actually get to start assigning who these people actually are. My major suggestions are going to be basically make sure that you have not only some sort of leadership, that is, you actually have some sort of hierarchy when it comes to your various deities, but also make sure that you have certain positions filled. Obviously, you're going to want a trick leader, and you're obviously going to want a trickster. The trickster can either be somebody who's actually trying to tear down society, or somebody who's trying to build it up by exposing its flaws. And in some cases, you have a little bit of both. But at the same just look at Monkey. This is probably one of the more interesting trickster spirits and it's the reason why he keeps getting brought up so much. This is a character who at the same time he's trying to basically tear down society to a certain degree. At the same time by tearing it down he's actually building it up a little bit as well. That is he's exposing the flaws specifically for example the problem with having deities that basically think themselves 
way too above the people that worship them and actually has no problem knocking them down a few pegs, which is actually probably why people love monkeys so much. But at the same time, this is somebody who comes in as a leader and actually is helping to build up his own people. Because of him, the monkeys that he actually worship him actually become a little bit more powerful, a little bit more community-oriented, and actually advance a little bit in terms of their civilization, which is sort of cool when you think about it. That's exactly what a trickster should be doing, tearing things down, building other things up, and basically having a rocking good time doing it. At the same time, you're going to have somebody who's basically in a leadership position. Just if you have a mocker, you're going to have to have the mock. Well, you're going to have to have a leader. This can be a good leader, can be a bad leader. Again, go back to however you want to define your world. If you think that you know politics is corrupt and that basically big government is bad, then hey, obviously your leader is going to be an evil individual. This is where we start looking at Zeus as basically less of a genial father and basically more as a power mad territorial jerk and as you look at various stories he's actually resent all over the place and as you look at the stories you find out that Zeus is represented all over the place as different types of leaders which is exactly fine that he's going to basically be the example of leadership he may as well be the example of all the various types of it you're also going to want to basically figure out just how powerful his deities really are Obviously, if you're doing something that's a little bit more mythological fantasy-based, then yeah, these people are actually going to be divine characters and actually be able to do some really weird stuff in terms of straight power. I mean, when if they want a hurricane to basically pop up, it's going to pop up. If they want to take off the world serpent, the world serpent's going down. You know, that's fine. If, on the other hand, you want something that's a little bit more down-to-earth, then these people will be limited to whatever they can possibly do in terms of their finances or their political power. Again, that's fine. You just have to figure out what level of power level you want your deities to actually be at. And of course, let's not forget that you also want to have different aspects of it. Just like with Zeus, you don't want to have one person doing all the leadership. Sometimes you want to look at somebody who's doing tactical leadership, Wicked Ares. You want to look at somebody who's worried about the strategy, Athena. You want to deal with somebody who's basically in charge of, well, the house, Hestia. And of course, let's not forget that while we're dealing with this, Juno, or sorry, Hera, isn't exactly powerless herself and actually represents a major force of leadership by herself. Each one of these represents different aspects of leadership. So obviously if something's important, you're going to have a little bit of redundancy in there, and that's fine. It gives you, as a writer, a chance to explore different aspects of those particular situations as well. So definitely, when it comes down to it, once you figure out who your deities are, or what your aspects are, try to figure out who's going to fit those places, try to break them down a little bit so you have a little bit of variety to play around with, and basically make sure you definitely have a leader and you have a trickster. Once those positions are filled, you just have fun with it. You're going to basically find that you're going to have a lot of people that you're going to need. And that's fine. You're going to need celebrities. Sometimes you're going to be able to base them off of real life. Sometimes you're not. Sometimes you're going to make your own. Just figure out what works best for your particular thing and add a couple of layers to it. Of course, if we've got gods, well, we're also going to have monsters. Monsters aren't necessarily being looked at here as the anti-gods. That is, they're not looking at just looking at them as anti-aspects of a sort. We're looking at them representing the actual problems of your particular universe. Again, going back to the Greeks, they had a lot of problems with sea travel, so of course they created a lot of monsters that happened to deal with, well, those problems they see at the sea. That worked for them. They also had problems when it came to personalities. They had problems when it came to enemies. So each one of those enemies got represented by a particular monster. These weren't necessarily people that represented anti-values. That is, they may have represented fear, loathing, disgust, and all that, but these weren't necessarily seen in opposition to something else. These were seen in their own entity. At the same time, that's sort of what you need to look at this way as well. For example, if you see politics, 
fish being greedy and corrupt, and obviously greedy and corrupt need to be represented in your universe somehow. Consider why the Batman-Joker dichotomy works so well. Both of these people are trying to establish some sort of world order. The difference is, and yeah, I know it's weird to see Joker being represented as an actual world order, but chaos is a form of world order, even if it's pretty much not exactly order. At the same time, you've got Batman who's trying to basically make sure that things are working out the way they should be. Everybody's that criminals of crime gets punished and people who do good things get rewarded. At the same time, you've got Joker who pretty much says, screw it, we're going to tear this mother down. And because of that dichotomy, because of that way the Batman and Joker work together, you've got a really cool system going. The same with your monsters versus your gods. Just as your gods represent society, well, monsters are going to be the people that represent tearing it down. And we're not necessarily looking at the people that are tearing it down in order to rebuild it, but because they just simply want to see it destroyed. Your monsters are going to represent your challenges. They're going to basically be the people that, when it comes down to the end-all, be-all fight of all time, they're going to be there. Just look at Ragnarok. You've got the Fenris Wolf. You've got Jormungandr. You've got Hela. You've got all the basically bad guys. All the monsters of Norse mythology are going to be represented somewhere in Ragnarok. And that's exactly how it should be. These monsters represent the ultimate fears of that particular society. The World Serpent represents all of these various sea problems that the Vikings had to face. Fenris, basically losing control. Hela, death. And basically, Ragnarok was seen as basically the ultimate victory over those particular forces. Yeah, there was a high price to pay. And yeah, the world basically did get destroyed. But at the same time, well, there's the promise of it coming back. But the promise isn't important here. The fact that you have all these people representing the various fears and problems of Norse mythology, that is. And you also have to represent those fears in your own particular world as well. So just figure out people that would fit best or fit entities that would work well in there. And just have fun with it again. At this level, you start having your actual heroes show up. These heroes are going to represent basically champions of society. Not necessarily champions of mankind, because that's sometimes a little too boring, too trite, too cliche. You want to have a little bit more fun than that. The heroes are basically going to be putting in terms of what their aspects are they like, and they're going to be championing those particular aspects. Superman, for example, is going to be right. Batman is going to basically be justice. Reed Richards, intelligent. Each one of these characters represents a particular aspect, but they're not necessarily representing some sort of godhood themselves. Because of that, it sort of gets a little bit interesting, and it basically means you can actually have these people call back to much bigger, much more powerful sources, which is sort of fun. That means that your heroes are actually champions of some sort of particular cause, some particular being, which is great. It basically means they become a symbol, and by becoming a symbol, they actually become a little bit more powerful. It's exactly basically what you want to start happening. You want these heroes to basically have a little bit of fame, and by linking into something bigger, much more powerful than themselves, they stop being just regular people, and they actually start being heroes. They take a step up by actually going into a much bigger role. That is, yeah, Superman's already pretty much powerful as it is, but by taking on the role of Wright, he actually becomes a much more powerful character. He becomes something a little bit more prominent, something a little bit, well, almost symbolic of the Wright itself. And that just gives him a certain degree of extra power, and that basically also ties him better into the world as a whole. Because at that point, it becomes a symbol of something bigger and badder, which happens to be basically people trying to actually, well, being fair play, of people being treated well, of people being treated equal. He becomes a force of his very own by becoming a champion of another one. Same with Batman. Batman just by himself is just basically a millionaire with some really great toys. But by becoming the force of justice, by becoming somebody who's actually willing to fight for what's right, to make sure people get punished, to make sure that people get rewarded, to basically make sure that everything is kept sort of close to the status quo, 
even though there is some level of advancement in there, by becoming Justice, Batman steps into the role of a much bigger, much more important character. He's no longer just a street-level guy who happens to have some a really huge wallet and has some really great toys to play around with. He becomes a champion of Justice. By becoming that, he becomes a lot more powerful, he becomes a lot more symbolic. And because of that, he has a lot more power in terms of the imagination. So when you start looking at your hero, try to figure out if they're just simply going to be who they are, or if they're going to be stepping into the role of something much bigger. And yeah, I know I'm going with a lot of DC here, but you start seeing the same thing in terms of a lot of writing as well. Consider, if you will, somebody as simple as, say, Tom Sawyer. Yeah, he's basically a wisecracking 12-year-old kid. But when it comes down to it, he becomes a symbolic of America in his own weird way. He's young. He's willing to basically do what it takes to get the job done. At the same time, he's not exactly afraid to con other people on doing the job for him. You know, he becomes a really great little symbol of America in a lot of weird ways, which again, gives him a certain level of power and basically makes him more of a mythological element than it does a straight story character. So when you start looking at your heroes, start trying to figure out how to step them up. Don't just let them do the things that they are good at, but try to figure out ways to give them better challenges, bigger challenges, and by doing that, actually make them become a part of the mythology themselves. And again, you see pressing all this way back to Greek mythology with Hercules. Yeah, the guy is theoretically the son of a god, but at the same time, you know, that was probably added on later. The guy probably started off as a really big wrestler. He got a reputation for basically doing all this really cool stuff. And the more he did, the more he got stories written about him, the more people started having fun with the character. Well, the more powerful he got in terms of Greek mythology. He went just from being merely strong to being basically being able to strangle a lion type strong. Sometimes he even wrestled against God. All of that just because he stepped up from being just a regular wrestler to an actual mythology of Greek culture of the time, specifically a sports mythology. Of course, if you've got heroes, well, you're also going to have villains. Just so your heroes are going to be stepping up into mythology, so should your hero villain. Think about this for a second. Lex Luthor isn't just a brilliant entrepreneur. He's basically somebody who actually does things just for the sake of being evil. He's basically selfish. He's greedy. He's a jerk. He's basically everything that, well, is the opposite of Superman. And you need that cosmic clash, so to speak, in order to really sell that Superman actually is a hero. Your hero is only as strong as his villain is. The stronger the villain, the more impressive the hero is. On the other hand, if you basically have your hero going up against street thugs all the time, well, yeah, sure, you might be able to destroy the universe, but what's he doing going up against street thugs? Just how big a hero is this guy, really? You know? You need somebody who's basically going to sell that this person is the hero of your particular culture. You need somebody who's going to basically challenge the hero, who's going to basically make the hero worry, and is going to be respected by the hero if for no other reason than that guy is so freaking bad, you know? That's why Lex Luthor works so well. He's able to do things to Superman that Superman has no defense against. He's able to figure out plans and plots and conspiracies that tend to really work well and actually tend to scare everybody when they actually start coming off. Same token, you've also got the Joker. Just as Batman represents basically society in its more positive lights, Joker is basically an anarchist. He's the guy who wants to tear everything down just to see it burn. And even though he may not be as strong as Batman in terms of combat, he is nonetheless able to do a lot of stuff to make Batman actually work and actually make him work for it. And straight up, the, let's get real, the Joker is pretty much scary as he wants to be. Yeah, he's basically nothing more than a chemist genius with a really bad sense of humor, but that tends to work out really well for him and basically does elevate him occasionally to a cosmic level threat, which makes him perfect for Batman, who's basically got to think of ways to deal with this guy. But remember one major thing, if you want to sell your villain, you have to basically give the villain some actual point where he's actually being truthful. That is, whatever his perspective 
viewpoint is, there is a certain level of validity to it. With Luthor, for example, we know that basically the guy's greedy, selfish, and he's basically not nice. But at the same time, what makes him a really cool villain is that he's able to basically show that this is what humanity at its best could possibly be in a sort of weird way. If we basically stripped away all of what makes Luthor bad, and we basically went with straight intellect, this is a guy who can actually go toe-to-toe versus the most powerful being pretty much on the planet. Luthor is able to outthink Superman at every particular turn. Luthor is able to outspend him, is actually able to outmarket him, outPR him. When it comes down to it, Luthor is a scary character because there are certain aspects of his personality we actually envy, we're actually jealous of. We actually want to be Luthor to a certain degree. We want to have that intelligence, we want to have that money, we want to have that political pull. That's what makes Luthor such a really great character is because he has those aspects of him that we want to be. You know, Luthor is basically, if you actually turned all that around to actually being good, we'd actually want to be the guy. And let's get real, Joker has his own certain level of validity as well because how many times has anybody actually wanted to just say, screw it, this isn't working, society is screwed, we need to burn it down to the ground and start fresh? You know, that's arguably the scariest part of the Joker, is that when it comes down to it, his anarchist beliefs are exactly what everybody agrees with. There are times when, no matter how meek, no matter how mild the person is, they just want to turn around and just go to town on everything around them just wreak as much possible destruction as they possibly can. Forget about the consequences. Just get this away from me. Just let it all burn. It's something that we all want to do at some point or another. And because of that, because of that basic truth of the Joker, that is that everybody wants to see society burn, well, that gives Joker his own certain level of power. That makes that takes the Joker from being just somebody who wants to do bad things to an actual mythological element in and of himself. So when you start looking at your villains, make sure that there's something that you want to be in that you can actually have a little bit of fun with. I mean, there's a lot of truth to the fact that a lot of villains see themselves as the hero of their particular story. You need to figure out how the villain is the hero in his own story in order to create a much scarier, much badder, much more powerful villain for the hero to go up again. And by creating a much more powerful villain, well, you also create a much more powerful hero as well. And let's get real, you can't beat that. I mean, that just adds a certain level of awesomeness to the stories that you just really, really want. So you need that symbolic edge to that as well as that basic truth to your villains and your heroes. Once you have that, your heroes and villains are going to be go from being basically one-note, who-cares type characters to pe- villains and heroes that people are going to want to read. And the more you can get people to read, the better, right? Just you have all these really great characters set up for your mythology, you know, your gods, your monsters, your heroes, your villains, you're also going to be wanting to set up locations and items that are important to these particular characters. And obviously this is going to be just as important in terms of setting up who those people are. For example, Superman is, well, apart from the world. Therefore, his major location is also going to put something that's going to separate him from the world as well. Ergo, the Sportress of Solitude is in the Arctic, and it requires a huge key to get into. Batman, major hero, but at the same time, he has his own little bat cave to play around with. Yeah, you'd think it'd be secretive, but... Let's get real. Who doesn't know where the Batcave is after a little while, you know? People can be brought in there. People play around in there. It's not really that hard to find. When we start looking at some of your bigger, badder villains, we know that they have their own little bases as well. You know, Lex has his own tower, for example. And, uh, of course, Joker has his own little hideouts that are pretty much all over the place. That's great. That's exactly what you want. You want to have these people set up these really great little... 
hideouts that basically fit that person's personality so you can have a little bit more fun to it. On top of that, because, well, let's get real, locations are a major aspect of mythology as well. You can't, for example, have the Greek gods without having Mount Olympus or Tartarus or Hades, for example. You can't have, well, you basically just need those locations to basically really set up the situation. You can't have Thor without having Asgard. It's just straight up. You need a lot of these really great locations to really sell who these people are. By creating these locations that match the person's viewpoint, you then basically link them further into the very aspects of, well, whatever you're trying to link them into. And it's sort of actually pretty cool. And the same with the villains as well. The Joker, for example, we basically tie in with basically being insane, being a little loopy, wanting to tear things down. And hey, look, nine times out of ten, you see a Joker place. It's breaking down. It's not a really great place to live in. It basically represents his warped mentality as well. Luther, on the other hand, has Luther Tower, which is, well, it works like clockwork. It's brilliant. It looks great. It's very scientifically developed. It's basically exactly how somebody who's in charge and wants to show it off would develop. That location further basically brings out their personalities, which is exactly what you need to do as far as the various items they play with as well. I mean, when you come down to it, just as the locations tell you a lot about the person, so do the items they tend to accumulate as well. With Superman, for example, we notice that a lot of his items tend to basically be things that are libraries of knowledge, are relics of the past. Basically stuff that reminds him of who he is. That basically keeps him in touch with his humanity. Batman, on the other hand, is rich. He basically has a lot of weapons. And lo and behold, almost all of his items tend to represent that to one degree or another. You know, he's got the best vehicles. He's got the best weapons. Stuff he's basically, we would see it's more as a straight tool. He figures out a way of using this fight against crime. The bat computer, for example, or pretty much anything involving bats. His utility belt is probably the exact epitome of who Batman is. You know, he's always prepared for something, and there's always a trick or two in his utility belt. So that's something that basically defines the character as well. Luthor, well, he's basically got to go up against somebody who's really physically powerful. So, of course, he's also got a power suit. And when it comes down to the Joker... Well, he's the force of anarchy, and he basically has a lot of deadly practical jokes. The acid-squirting flower, the poison-squirting flower. I mean, you know, he has a lot of flowers that tend to squirt stuff, but he's also got guns that will basically do the whole, you know, pull with a bang-up sign at the end, and then that will shoot off and actually kill someone. A deadly practical joke, if you will. His joy buzzers, so on and so forth. The Joker is basically defined as basically figuring out ways to take things that would be really funny normally and make them into deadly jokes. That really works well with his anarchist team. Note also that a lot of these items tend to take on a lot of mythological import as well. So they actually define and become part of the mythos of those particular characters. So when you start looking at your characters, figure out stuff that, well, would work really well with that character as well as a way to make a location that exemplifies how that person actually thinks and how that person actually acts. Because you're going to find out that those are nice little symbols and can be used as callbacks in their own. You know, having a battering all by itself basically is going to strike fear in the villains if they happen to find in the right situation. Just a little bit of piece of Batman is enough to scare these guys, as it should be. I mean, you've created Batman as a major mythological element. Even a glimmer of that particular mythology should be enough to remind people that Batman is there, that Batman is watching, be afraid of the Batman. So have some fun with your locations and items. Of course, all of these are the big, huge, broad strokes. These are pretty much the mythology everybody in your particular world are going to be aware of.
You're also going to need to occasionally set up good old-fashioned local legend. You know, the haunted houses where nobody wants to go to, or the asylum that pretty much everybody's running from. You also want to have wells that basically do really cool things for people, and you want to have areas that are a little bit just simply weird. You know, this is where we come in with your fairy ring. These are, you know, those cute little rings of mushrooms that you happen to find in the middle of the woods. That will take you to other places you don't want to sleep in because you may get weird dreams or you may have weird effects placed on you. You definitely don't want to go to areas where the fairies rule. So these are areas where you simply need to come up with a few extra little, small little local legends that actually add a little bit of flavor to the area. If we were looking at this in terms of video games, we're basically looking at, well, areas that you would be setting up as basically a side quest for later on. I mean, let's get real. If you've got an area where people spend the night over there and they tend to be a little bit faster, then odds are anybody who's a track and field star is going to be spending there. If you have a library that adds a little bit of intelligence to people, hey, obviously you're going to be getting a lot of people there that you're going to be studying there pretty much all the time. This is also going to apply to various alchemical situations as well. If you've got people who believe that tying certain elements together will basically create a little bit extra luck, then hey, you're definitely going to be doing that. You know, if they happen to be tying together the shoelace of a local athlete, the coin of a gambler, and maybe even a little bit of pinch of grave dirt, then hey, that's a really neat local legend. That helps add a little bit more flavor. What we're basically looking at here is stuff that isn't necessarily going to tie into the huge mythology of the whole, but instead it's just simply going to have a little bit of fun with the way people tend to view things at a local, more local level. It should be noted that some of these local legends are going to be basically myths and rumors and other misdirection you pretty much have set up into the situation. Sometimes they may be clues to bigger mysteries. For example, the theoretical that a local politician is the son of a demon. That may not necessarily pan out. That may be straight exaggeration, but at the same time, wouldn't it be sort of cool if there was a certain level of truthfulness to that situation? That would explain a lot about that particular politician. You know, little things like that. Or places where there's dimension doors or just here's where you start looking at all the weirdness and have a little bit of it go away from it. If you look at the rest of your story, it's basically all this really huge, well-put-together tapestry. Well, occasionally you're going to have those areas in that tapestry that are a little bit more worn, a little bit weirder, a little bit more tangled than the rest of the tapestry. In a lot of ways, this is what you need your local legends to be. They may add a little bit more to it. They may just be a little bit weird. They may just add a little bit more flavor to it. That's fine. But you need, nonetheless, to come up with a few extra little local legends that pretty much no one really believes, but at the same time, people do have a little bit of weight in. You know, like I said, this is where you get your haunted houses, your dimensional portals, your really weird ancestries. You know, your basically directions for trying to figure out how to solve some really basic problems. That's going to actually tell you a lot more about your people than they're basically the big, huge gods, monsters, villains, and heroes. This is actually going to start looking at the average person, how that actual person looks at life, and it is basically going to be give you a chance to have a little bit of fun. So keep that in mind when it comes to the local legends. You need them just as much as you need your big myths. So there you are. When it comes down to it, don't neglect your mythology. Have something that's a little bit more to your heroes than just simply, well, they're being all this stuff because they're naturally nice guys. Have them actually being stepping into a bigger, badder role. You need your heroes. You need your villains. Just as much as you need your gods and monsters. A lot of this will add a lot of flavor to your particular universe and just add a certain level of extra mythology to it. Yeah, it can be a little extra work and get really annoying, especially when you try to track a lot of this stuff down. But at the same time, the investment you put in this is definitely going to be worth it later on. This is going to be showing you a lot of really cool stuff. This is going to be showing you just 
how much fun you can have with your particular universe. More importantly, when it comes down to it, your readers are going to be looking for this kind of stuff because, well, they don't want to read just a regular run-of-the-mill story. They want to read something that has a certain level of depth to it. They want to have something that has some fun to it. They want to have something that, while people are trying to make into actually a big deal, they don't want to just simply read a regular story. They want to read something that's downright legendary. Have some fun with your mythology, and I think you're going to be finding out that you're going to be a lot more enraptured in your own writing. And this is necessarily a bad thing. I mean, when most people tend to get enraptured by their writing, they basically tend to think it's the best thing ever, and this creates some issue. What you're actually trying to do is actually have a little bit of fun with it and make it interesting to you, because a lot of this will also keep you away from, well, worrying about burnout as well. You're always going to have a story this way. You're always going to have something you can explore and something you have a little bit of fun with. You know, you've got these little local legends all over the place that eventually you're going to dot your stories with, and you want to investigate those little stories every so often as well. You know, it's just straight up. By doing this, you not only create a mythology, that is, you not only create a little bit more added dimension to your particular story, but you also create all these really great avenues for you to explore within that story yourself. And that's sort of the definite strength of a mythology going on. You've got all these really weird things going on that you can't really allow for. All of a sudden, you need to figure out ways to basically allow for them. So have some fun with your mythology. Develop it. Create it. And definitely let it breathe some life into your story. If it's just basically hero A going up against villain B, and you've got all the drama that goes along with it, well, your stories just aren't going to be as much fun to a regular reader as somebody who's actually putting out that the hero is basically the ultimate symbol of the forces of good. The villain is the ultimate symbol of the forces of evil. And they're going at it because they've got all these powers, all these abilities, and you never know exactly what's going to happen. And yeah, sometimes your villains are going to win. You need them to. If you're going to show just how badass your villains are, yeah, they're going to win over the heroes every so often, but that's just going to add to your mythology. That's going to prove just how scary those villains can actually be, and just how powerful your heroes are as well. So create a mythology, and make sure it's one you can have some fun with. If you do that, yeah, you won't be having any missing pieces in your particular world, and you would be surprised just how complete it would feel after a little while. So thank you. For those interested in supporting this podcast, please check us out over at patreon.com slash two sparrows. We have many casts, a few extra tips and tricks here and there. An edited version of interviews that include all these swearing as well as a little bit longer, as well as an actual episode of this podcast that has yet to be aired anywhere else. Also check us out over at YouTube where we have curated playlists where all the various podcasts have been broken down into various different types of sections such as world building, business, marketing, writing, etc as well as additional mini-casts as well as the Alexa Briefs. And definitely check us out over on Facebook. This allows you not only to comment on the various videos, but also catch up on a few other things as well. And I hope this has helped. Have a good evening.